Hey everyone, welcome back to Information Revolution. It's a podcast about information for people working with information, thinking about how things are now and how things need to change. I'm Michael Upton. I'm a director of MetaTaxis New Zealand, a little consultancy based in Wellington, uh, and I spend my days thinking about digital information. And I'm Judy Verno, also with MetaTaxis New Zealand in Wellington. I'm an information architect and spend my days thinking about how to structure information and describe it. And I'm Carl Melrose. I work for Castle Point Systems in Canberra. Uh, my views are my own. Um, but, you know, other places you can find me. I'm on the Rimper Branch Council for South Australia until they change that structure in two weeks' time. Um, you can find my blog at metairm.substack.com. And uh, honestly, I'm just always really pleased to hang out with you two. Uh, Michael, what are we talking about today? Thank you very Carl. Uh, today we're going to talk about engaging with your executive. So it seemed like a logical follow-on. We're still talking about the people stuff. Last episode, yeah. um, very happy to have Gillian Oliver on talking about information cultures. And we talked a little bit there about uh, levels of engagement and where you want to reach the idea that there's kind of um, uh, different sort of... Uh, cultures occurring uh, within any particular organisation and that one size doesn't fit all in terms of your approach to improving information culture. So one aspect was definitely about the exec and about knowing what it is you're going to do when you're talking to them um, and uh, basically what they're good for and what they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was really interesting last week to think about those subcultures across the organisation. So it was clear that if we say organisational culture, that isn't necessarily a thing. It's lots of individual things within an overriding culture, as it were. Um, but yeah, so we said, how do we? How do we? What does that mean for approaching management? And I guess then the management is going to be, as it were, a subculture, if I can say it like that. Like, what is going to tick their boxes? How do they think about things? It was interesting when Gillian said, oh, even even the way you present the information, um, like, you know, they want to see spreadsheets or they want to see bullet-pointed PowerPoints or they want you to just talk to them or whatever it is. You need to think about even the method of presentation of what you're trying to say, let alone the content. The genres. That's uh, how so I thought that was a... Good point. Yeah. Sorry, I was just saying uh, that's what Gillian described as uh, genres. So understanding the genre that you needed to be operating within to maximise what you were getting out of uh, your exec. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So I think for me, um, another aspect of what um, she mentioned in passing is that idea of understanding what it is your exec is good for and what it is you're going to get from them because we actually discussed and you know we've brought it up a few times the idea that if you're trying to engage in a an actual cultural shift in an organization you're trying to change the way that um, people work with information then really that's probably going to happen at an operational level it, you know yeah it's not necessarily actually up at the exec level where um people are really familiar with this idea that actually the people working on the exec don't have time to be faffing around in kind of records and information systems and so forth. So they actually typically don't have 
um, current first-hand experience of a lot of the kinds of things that you might be trying to um, shift within an organization, yes. within an organization's practices. So working with the exec, um, the, the massive benefit I would see in terms of working with the exec is just getting mandate, like getting a clear authority to do something mm. within an organization and say, look, yes, this is what we're trying to achieve. And so I think conversations there, um, I was thinking about this um, before coming on here. I, I used to work with a very um, commercially minded uh, sales guy who used to just push me whenever I was talking about the idea of providing information related services. Um, he would push me to say, is this going to increase revenue? Is it going to reduce costs to do something? Or is it going to stop me showing up on the front page of the paper? And he was like, if you can't say one of those three things is true, then um, how are you of interest to the executive? <laughs> like, and, and, and I think this is really valuable. Um, uh, there's been a bit of a kind of swing back and forth, a kind of pendulum between sort of different, well, not even a pendulum, but, you know, there's multiple different ways you can think about what records and information is all about. But... Um, if, for instance, we think it's about, um, you know, um, managing entitlements and making sure that, um, you know, people can kind of um, uh, be treated fairly by the government and seek justice and all those kinds of things that, you know, like I, I'm totally, totally all about that. Like I totally believe in that stuff, but that's not going to win me over with the exec. Like if I go to the exec and start banging on about how, you know, like, what about the downtrodden? You know, they're going to go, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I've got stuff to do. Yeah, I've and, got enough to do. I, yeah, so I, I think the thing that we have to remember is that, you know, we, we are selling to the executive. You know, if you can make a decision, you make the decision. If you can't make the decision, you have to sell it to someone. And, you know, that issue that Michael touched on earlier of, you know, what's executive worthy? You know, is this going to increase revenue, reduce costs or stop me showing up on the front page of the paper? You know, is it going to do those things to a, a degree that, um, you know, is worthy of executive time? You know, because these are the people who, you who are trying to make the big strategic decisions of the organisation. You know, I wrote a blog post a little while ago um, talking about this because I think that, you know, the most important person or the most, you know, in in the organisation for a records team is actually, you know, the middle, they're the middle managers above the records function, you know, if you're lower down in the organisation. Yeah. Because those are the people who, you know, they see across the organisation, they can convince other middle managers who, you know, really they have a lot of budget driving power and they're the ones that if the executive are going to listen to someone and take them seriously and say, yes, I'm going to fund that, it's going to be on the back of a middle manager coming to them and saying, hey, we've got this opportunity over here and we should fund it. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I think there's that issue too of um, you can only sell from a place of credibility. And, you know, one of the ongoing conversations that I have with people in, in the organisations that I work with, because fundamentally I sell things for a living, particularly when we go to trade shows, is I'll, I'll take somebody along who's, you know, technical in nature or, or you know, or who's a, a records management consultant or something like that, and we'll have a conversation about how they're not sales um, before we go to the conference. And, you know, it's like, like I was saying, you know, if you can make a decision, you make a decision. You know, if you can't, you've got to sell it to someone who can make it. We're all selling 
a lot of the time. The only difference really is you can either do sell badly or you can sell well. And, you know, if you're making a decision that you're not sales and that therefore you shouldn't be selling anything, well, if that means that you don't want to persuade people to get things done, um, which is, you know, just more selling, that's okay. But you've got to find someone who's comfortable doing that and who you feel can adequately represent you. And I don't know about you, but I always want to be in control of that conversation. Um, but, you know, for on, on the selling front, you know, one of the biggest challenges for records is that you can only sell effectively from a place of credibility. And I think that's the first thing that everybody in records needs to think about before they actually go to their executive and say, and actually try and sell something. Because, you know, a lot of executives have come up through government over the last 20 years. And what they've actually got is they've got a legacy of people in records being the people who say to them, no, you can't implement that business system um, because it doesn't comply with, you know, whatever regulations. Um, no, you can't do that. You know, this is illegal, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they've gone on and done all these things anyway and there haven't been any problems. And so <laughs> records management don't necessarily have a lot of credibility from having said no. The other thing that a lot of records teams haven't done is they haven't embraced digital technologies and they're still trying to get people to put a document into a record system. And, you know, if you are going to an executive and you're trying to convince a, an executive that, you know, you can effectively implement something and the executive knows that, you know, the capture rate in your organisation is, you know, somewhere between 5 and 10%, you know, very low. So the actual implementation of the records policy um is is not particularly effective, then you might have a bit of a bit of trouble going to them and saying, "I need five million dollars to do, you know, to buy this new record system," or you know, "I need a significant amount of money, and I need the organisation to fundamentally change the way it manages information." You know, you might find that that's a really big ask, which you know, it isn't a, it, it's not a. It just turns it into a long-term problem. And one of the nice things about records management, one of the things that I really like is that if you look at the tenure of most people in records and you look at the tenure of most executives in, even in government agencies, you know, CIO tenures are down to, you know, somewhere between 12 months and two years. And, you know, every time I go and talk to a records team, you know, if you've been there for five years, then you're Johnny come lately. Or Janet come lately. Um, it's probably more appropriate. So, you know, the nice thing about that is that, you know, records teams can kind of, I think most records teams are going to outlast the tenure of most executives. But you can actually go through that process of building credibility. But the process of building credibility so that you can engage with your executive isn't, I'm going to elevate a pitch my executive every time I yeah. see them. It's, I'm going to provide a basis for reference selling. And reference selling is really, you know, that's that process where, you know, every time you go to the executive to ask for something, there's three middle managers who will come along and say, yeah, you know, the records team came to me and said, we, we can do a small project yeah. over to improve performance and they delivered on it and it was, was great. It did everything they said. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna say something exactly along those lines, actually, from, from what I was thinking about before. I mean, you need to identify those key stakeholders who have got the influence, who can, just what you said there, Carl, come along with you or or bend the exec's ear because you, in your position, may not actually have the authority. They're going to go, oh, you know, 
I'm not interested, whatever. Um, but if you can if you can persuade the people who do have the ear, then that's probably the way to go or a good way to yeah. go. But also exactly what you said there, Carl, about having good projects to showcase what you can do. I think that's a really good way to get the ear as well. If you've got some some if you can identify some projects that really will help will showcase the possibilities that give a success story then yeah, that's I, that's I, really good a great example and you know he, here's a he, here's a, a, a little tip as well you know we are narrative beings you know we have this whole part of our brain that actually just constantly assembles narrative coherent narratives about the world and so a lot of sales and selling well particularly to executives is all about storytelling you know credibility is just a story talking about credibility here is just a story about how you know mr or mrs executive if you give me some money and your authority i will make good use of it and i will make you look good that's what credibility is it's a story about that but you know that a, a little story that you know i think is really relevant you know I, I have a friend of mine who's at a department here in south australia and you know, an information manager came into their, you know, this, this organization has a long history of underinvesting in information management because the, the, the executives just actually don't believe in it. They don't believe it can produce results and they just don't believe in it, even though there is ample evidence to the contrary. But, you know, they had an information manager come in, put a business mm -hmm. case together, ask for, and it was actually $5 million for a new record system and they were going to do all these things and modernize everything. And, but, information management didn't have the credibility in the organization the executive didn't believe in it so not surprisingly it didn't get up the next information manager that came in who's this friend of mine um you know they were expecting the five million dollar ask she found a, a problem in uh a problem in the chief executive's office to do with some form of correspondence and said right we're going to focus on that i need ten thousand dollars to fix it and we're just going to use the existing systems. And, you know, it was an old record system that, you know, was really quite creaky. But she looked at it and she said, for about $10,000, I think we can solve this problem. And she got the $10,000. She solved the problem. And, you know, this is the virtuous cycle of building that power and influence and credibility. Yeah. You know, that's a story that she can now go to every other person in the organization and say, hey, you know, in the chief executive's office, you know, I fixed this problem. And she's going to have people in the chief executive's office now saying, yeah, no, you can believe them. They, they worked with us on this problem and they solved it and life got better. You know, they increased revenue, reduced costs and stopped us showing up on the front page of the paper. And I think that's the kind of project that, that really gets um, missed a lot. You know, we, everybody tends to focus on the really big, you know, sexy projects you know, digital transformation, everything else. But I really think credibility within an organization is built on is built on the little things. You know, it's, it's the it's it's the virtuous cycle that helping a team organize and manage their work so that they can be more effective. You know, I, I think it's all of those little stories. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. I think that um uh, and it's kind of a flavour in what we've been talking about over the last few episodes with thinking about sort of focus on people and change in people is mm -hmm. that it's incremental, you know, it's small. And, and that's not quite on the track of talking about how you deal with the exec, but it is how you establish credibility, you know, and it is how you make real change occur over time. Um, it's, it's 
it's um, you know almost almost piecemeal. Like ideally, you want a direction and a strategy in your head, but you're doing small things at a time to basically make it clear that you know when I tried to do the small thing, it worked, and you know I can build on that small thing, and maybe next time it's going to be a medium sized thing. You know, if you're lucky. But, but I mean, it, it's it's that topic we were just we were talking about before, where you know, building up to the middle that layer of middle management, you know, and getting them to really endorse you. Mm, well, you yeah. know, I mean, if you're you know, if you've got fifty middle managers in your organisation who so have all got their own mini organisation underneath them, and you want to make change that affects those fifty, you know, middle managers, then you know, if, if they don't believe that it's actually going to work, you're just going to end up with a turf war. Um, which is going to be ugly for everybody. But, you know, if you can go uh, go through that process of, you know, picking a really influential middle manager and saying, right, we're going to focus on their business unit, partly because they're influential, but partly because they've got problems to solve. And we're going to work with them on solving their problems over a longer period of time. You know, it might take you two years. You know, then you can build yourself into a position where all of a sudden the, you can engage with the executive and they'll take you seriously because you've got someone saying, these people have got two years of, you know, absolutely delivering with credibility on everything they said they would. And it's been great working with them. And, you know, if we did that through the rest of the organisation, you know, it's about building a platform so that mm. you can actually talk to your executive credibly. Yeah, I wondered, Judy, uh, so thinking about when you talk to the exec and what you're actually trying to get from that, I wondered, um, Judy, if you think and it's sort of in the context of information architecture, is that an exec conversation in your mind? Do you need to have the conversation with the exec there? Not, probably not, because they're not going to understand or care about yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a loaded question, they... but that's kind of what I was thinking too. Sorry, keep but going. But it's true. And, I mean, the business case for, for example, um, Microsoft 365, they're not going to be thinking in terms of, oh, yeah, that's a big spend on information architecture. They're going to be thinking just about what's the cost of the technology itself. Um, so really, it's making the case for, but you can't put this in without an information architecture. It's more of a, it's a, it's a, a piece of the puzzle, mm. which is possibly easier to sell, but not always. Um, on the other hand, it's actually relatively easy to come up with examples of places that haven't put, introduced an information architecture in that situation and yeah. have failed. But this, I mean, this I is can, the how you reduce risk side of the conversation. Exactly. I mean, mm. I can I can pull out several examples with no problem at all about people who've done that without an IA and lo and behold, it doesn't work. This is the conversation everyone should have had about Microsoft 365, right? You know, there should have been someone going to the executive at some point and saying, you know, hey, the pandemic's just hit and we need to shift everybody over to working from home. Um, we've got this Microsoft 365 thing we can buy here and it's got Teams and that will allow us to do all of the collaborative working that we need to do. And here's how much it costs. And then hopefully there should have been a discussion about, well, what about all the information and security risks that, that poses? And great, here's how we're going to mitigate those. And, you know, the mitigation strategies would have been we're going to have a mature information architecture. We're going to do a security risk assessment. You know, it's the other side of the things because it's it's the risk it's the risk assessment that stuff that 
stops you ending up on the front page of the paper when you sign off on a perfectly good project. That's that's true. And, I mean, a huge risk for me is just that you implement something and you might as well not have bothered because what you end up with is just like a, a slightly more modern version of shared files because stuff is everywhere. Nobody knows where to find it. You know, you can't get from here to there very easily. So it's just yet another mess. And now it's $75 per user per month. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I think... Exactly. Um, um, but, uh, and, and, and Carl, in describing how you might kind of describe that that shift into 365 to the exec, you just sort of mentioned information architecture as a kind of a line item. And I feel like that's the level, right? And I think a lot of what we're doing in uh, working with information is actually often, from the exec's perspective, it's just at that level. Like, so, so our priority needs to be on building those relationships at a more operational level where people care basically about the detail of like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. oh, okay, this actually means that, you know, I need a smooth process for this team from start to finish and we need to mm. know where the information comes from and where it goes and how fast yeah. we need to access it and all those things we've talked about in the past. Whereas yeah. the exec just needs to know, you know, hey, there's an issue to tackle here and a credible person is telling you that you need to tackle it and it's going to cost about this much. You know, that that's how I feel. It's going to be successful. You know, yeah, and, and, yes, the, and the point you made is perfect. You know, I mean, the you know, if if I'm when I try to take a new application into an organization, you know, one of the people who you know, the CIO might be the person who says yes in the end, but you know, they're going to go through 14 other little bits of diligence before they do that. And you know, one of the other things they're going to go through is, well, we have an enterprise architect here, you know, how does this product fit into our enterprise architecture? But they're not going to have that conversation with me, you know, they're going to have their director of architecture you know, have that conversation and, you know, they're probably going to have some BAs who are actually going to have, you know, different bits of that conversation as well. And then there's going to be a security team that will probably have that conversation. And this is actually one of the things that makes executive engagement on projects really hard. It's that inevitably you you aren't just going to one person and saying and getting them to sign it off. You know, you've got to go through this process of there are 14 different people who need to say yes to this thing you want to do and we've got to get a yes from all of them or it doesn't happen. Which probably makes a bit of a mockery of, you know, the idea that we just go to a senior, you know, a senior executive and they say yes. <laughs> you know, they've got they've got many things they're trying to do at a at a sort of certain level that is not necessarily mm. the same level that we're necessarily working at. And I, I think that's fine. And I think it um I mean sometimes it's kind of humbling. Um, but it's you know, it's not like Oh my gosh! Uh, I'm, you know, th- things are failing somehow if I'm not going and getting the ear of the exec because it, it's like, well, I think you need to be very, very clear on when that's yeah. necessary. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really, a really good point actually because I think we do talk about needing to persuade the executive all the time, but exactly what you've just said is that actually what we need to be doing? Or, I mean, or want... should we be focusing on that other level? Yeah, I, I feel like the key thing that we're repeating here is is about you know when you basically when you need money, when you need funding, you need a and and who's got uh, the money? And yeah. I said at the start about a mandate. It's kind of part and parcel, right? If they're, if they're meaningfully giving you a mandate, then there's there's dollars. <laughs> you know, otherwise they haven't really given you the mandate. 
scope mm. of change as well. You know, I mean, right. if you want to roll out a new records management policy, I mean, you need an executive to sign it because mm-hmm. they're the only people who've got authority over the whole organisation. Um, sure. an- another quick um, point as well, my absolute manual for um, executive engagement is a book called The Real Business of IT. Um, it's written by a bunch of Gartner consultants. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a really simple process in there that, you know, I know a couple of people that I, I've... <laughs> I've given a lot of copies of this book away over the years. Um, and honestly, you can do a find and replace on IT and records in this book, and it reads perfectly for <laughs> all of the challenges that we have in records. Um, but I actually, you know, for, I, I actually, I bought, there's a company called Thrift Books that, you know, they sell um, secondhand books. That They had, I think they had 38 copies of this book. I bought them all so that I could give them to people a couple of years ago. I still have about six or eight copies left. You know, if somebody wants to send me an email, um, <laughs> nice. you know, I will happily pass it out. But it's a really simple process, you know. Part one, avoid value traps, you know, change your thinking. And, you know, the value trap, Judy, you described one of them perfectly. You know, if you go to a chief executive and start talking to them about information architecture, they're not going to want to keep having the conversation. <laughs> You know, they're, they're going to want to stop that really quickly. They're going to wonder why you aren't talking to the person 14 levels down in the organisation who, um, you know, actually looks after that. Um, you know, step two is show that you provide value for money, which basically means that you've got to be able to benchmark your service. to So, so you can go to your chief executive who is inevitably trying to find places where they're spending too much money and say, we're good value because we've benchmarked ourselves. And, you know, it's like lots of people are doing this with uh, inbound mail handling at the moment. You know, everybody's been trying to outsource it, but I know 14 departments that have actually benchmarked how much it's costing them to deliver the service internally. And they've kept the service inside or they've brought it back inside because they know they can deliver on it cheaply and more cheaply and more effectively. But show that you provide value for money. And there's a lot of things you've got to do in that. You know, you've got to have a serv- you've got to have your service catalogue sorted and some other things. Um, once you've got once you've done that, you can actually go on to show that you you actually improve business performance. But you know, people won't trust you to improve business performance until they think you could value. And then, you know, once you've shown that you can improve business performance, then you can actually start having a strategic conversation. But the thing that the book makes clear yeah. is that. And it studies CIOs from um, the early 2000s, you know, when CIOs were seen as the people who said no all the time and the the software industry actually invented SaaS so they could sell to line of business executives and line of business executives loved it because it meant they didn't have to deal with IT, which, you know, if you think about what's going on with records in a lot of organisations at the moment, that's actually what's going on with records in a lot of organisations at the moment. And the thing that that was really clear to these guys is that every time someone tried to skip a step, it failed. So, you know, they've got a really nice, clear process. And I've a couple of the people that I've passed this book out to in information management have been working this process in their organisation and actually starting to have some really good results with the executive starting to really listen and, and you know, see them as credible. So Fantastic. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah perfect. good idea. Brilliant. So I reckon we should probably wrap today's one up there so yeah some really useful ideas i think there around sales and the reality that that is you know part of our jobs and part of what we do whether or not you uh want to describe it in those terms um and um yeah i i just want to reinforce what carl mentioned about the idea of storytelling as well like that's something that someone taught to me back in the day 
<laughs> I should tell the story of storytelling, <laughs> but it's really <laughs> effective. It really works. So, yeah. So thanks everyone for listening in. And uh, if you've got any questions or if you want to get a book from Carl, then uh, get in touch. <laughs> Lim- limit- limited copies, but yes, I, I do still have something. All right. Thanks all. See you. Bye. Bye.